This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 442. In our house growing up, retirement was the R word. You didn't say that. You may retire from a career, but you never retire from making contributions. Just over 10 years ago, the world mourned the loss of Stephen R. Covey, internationally best-selling author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. What many don't realize is that before he passed, he was writing towards his final work, a book that he'd asked his eldest daughter, Cynthia Covey Haller, to co-write with him. Now, a decade later, Cynthia has put the finishing touches on that book, and I'm excited to announce that it releases today, Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. You have to develop an almost daily reading habit. Each week here on the podcast, we're visited by another successful and inspiring author, And we talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights on a variety of topics. As you may have already guessed, that person visiting us today is Cynthia Covey Haller, co-author along with her late father of Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. I'll ask Cynthia to share how this book came to be exactly. We'll unpack the Crescendo mentality. Plus, we'll dig into the Live Life in Crescendo four-part framework and lots, lots more. I wanted to take a moment to let you know that you have just about one more week to sign up for my October edition of Note Making Mastery. Now in its third iteration, you may have been wondering whether or not it's right for you. Well, if you identify with any of the following struggles, then it is. Maybe you struggle with effectively capturing your notes, finding they're often of little or no use to you later. Or you struggle with notes that are siloed inside various note capture apps and hard to call upon when you need them. Maybe you struggle with gathering other people's thoughts such that developing and distilling them never seems to evolve into ideas all your own. Or perhaps you struggle with numerous notebooks filled with handwritten notes that are hard to organize with ideas among them that are impossible to connect. Or maybe you struggle with creating with your notes and implementing what you've learned. Well, if you answered yes to any of those, note-making mastery is indeed for you because in note-making mastery, you learn how to better collect and capture your notes, what to write, how much, what tool to use, and when. You learn how to better connect and organize your notes so that you can easily and effectively, and sometimes serendipitously, find them later when it matters. You learn how to better develop and distill your notes so that your unique responses to the inputs, your own ideas and insights generated from the content you consume, doesn't fall through the cracks. And you learn how to better create from your notes. After all, what's the point of consuming all this content in the first place if you never share what you've learned with the world, whether that's online, at work, or even in conversation? And you know what? That's just the start. I want you to imagine it's the end of the year. My goal for you at that time is that you'll have a library of notes at your fingertips that are more helpful and useful to you than all your previous year's worth of note-taking combined. Simply put, if you want to improve retention and comprehension of the notes you consume for learning and growth, if you want to be the go-to person for ideas and insights when everybody else gets stuck, if you'd like to see the outputs that result from your content consumption efforts lead to things like new connections, well-deserved promotions, and opportunities that were previously out of reach, well, then your notes, your personal knowledge management system, is the difference maker. 
It's the one thing, all else being equal, that will give you the edge, a crystal clear advantage. That's what you learn how to build in Note Making Mastery is a personal knowledge management system. Previous students have reported things like increased efficiency with their time, being able to capture and organize ideas and notes the first time through, say, a book or other material. They've reported things like improved listening skills, leaps in their professional growth and development, more consistency in publishing content, enhanced reading comprehension and retention, becoming better conversationalists, or finally starting to write or complete their first book. I can sum up the reviews thus far from previous students in one word, rave. Rave are the reviews. And I'd love for you to check out more about Note Making Mastery. You can do that at jeffbrown.me. There you'll find more information on two options. One's a self-paced option, meaning you can dive into the content right now and learn alongside those who are in our second cohort. You can also do the live version, which includes not only group coaching, but there are a few more spots open for a one-on-one coaching session with me. I call it one-on-one smart notes coaching. So check out more, either of those two options at jeffbrown.me. You've got about a week left to get in on the live cohort version. Again, that's jeffbrown.me to find out more. Cynthia Howler is an author, teacher, speaker, and active participant in her community. She's contributed to the writing of several books and articles, notably The Third Alternative by Stephen R. Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and The Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make by Sean Covey. Cynthia has held multiple leadership positions in women's organizations, served as a PTSA president, an organizer for refugee aid and food pantry volunteer, and she is currently working with her husband Cameron as a service volunteer helping with employment needs. Her new book, co-written with her late father Stephen R. Covey, is called Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. Well, Cynthia, I am delighted to have you here. Welcome to uh, the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm thrilled to be part of your program. Oh, thank you. And in the nine years, uh, nine plus years I've been doing this, I've had the privilege of interviewing a brother of yours three times, uh, a guy by the name of Stephen M. R. Covey. (laughs) Yeah, my little brother. Uh, Your little brother who maybe maybe he'll go this month without being beaten up, I I understand. (laughs) I won't won't beat him up this month because he referred me to you. Yeah, the last time I chatted with him, he was so excited about this project and 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 told me about you and about the book that uh, that you were you were wrapping up. And so I said yes right away, sight unseen. Stephen uh, has been so kind to me over the years, not only letting me interview him three times, but endorsing a book that I wrote that came out last year. So, so uh, any friend of his or relative of his uh, <laughs> is a friend of mine. Well, let me just start off because uh, this is a very special book for a lot of reasons. And I want you to share sort of the story of how it came to be, your role in it, your late father's role in it, et cetera. I'd love to. Well, um, it's a great story because um, my dad, probably back in around 2008, a long time ago, was involved in writing a lot of different books. He had um, some projects going. He probably he told me he had 10 books in his head and it started on a lot of them. And I was most excited about this last, um, this Live Life for Crescendo, which was his personal mission statement, the last 10 years of his life. Mm. And so he started speaking about that. I had such uh, interest and passion in it. Um, we, we discussed me helping finding um, some stories and examples of people who live life in crescendo. And so anyway, we, we started, I interviewed him. He, he basically said, okay, I've got so much going on. 
you write the book. You, I'll give you all my ideas and uh, you interview mm-hmm. me and go with this big idea and I'm your resource and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just get started. So we did that for uh, uh, three or four years. And then um, he unexpectedly passed away in 2012, and mm-hmm. uh, which was shocking. He was healthy and strong and, and kept his mind going, as you know, speaking yeah. almost to the end at least a couple of years before. And um, anyway, so he gave me the assignment um, to, to finish it up. So it's a, I felt it's a sacred stewardship. I felt like I wanted to be a faithful translator of what he wanted. And so the last um, 10 years, he'll, he'll, he will have passed in July 16th. It'll be 10 years. Mm. And so uh, it's a great time to bring it out 10 years. Um, he's still influencing people. These are his ideas. Um, I wrote it in his mm. voice because it is his, they are his ideas. And this was my assignment. And then I, I filled in all the examples and, and everything else. Well, I think you've done a, an amazing job with it. And I'm so excited for people to, to be able to get a hold of it. Let's unpack some of this, starting with a phrase that's uh, strewn throughout the book, this idea, Cynthia, of the crescendo mentality. And, and as, a, as a former musician, when I first heard that title, when your brother shared that with me, my mind goes right to that term crescendo as it's used in music, right? Yeah. It meant we're going to gradually increase our volume. So, so right. what does crescendo or living life in crescendo or the crescendo mentality mean in this context? We purposely chose that analogy. Well, um, he, he chose it because it, it continues to, um, your, your life continues to expand, just like the crescendo sign mm. that the lines go outward. And that means you continue to grow and learn and, and take in everything. You, you, I've got to say your uh, read to lead is a perfect example of this because your, your mission is that the more you read, uh, it will increase your, your life's knowledge and scope. And you'll be able to do so much more, uh, have so much more knowledge with leadership and, and all these areas. Mm. You're a perfect example of the, of <laughs> your mission is of the crescendo mentality as opposed to diminuendo, which, you know, that sign comes to a, a point. It comes to an end eventually. It slows down. It, it is, it's very gradual and then it eventually stops. Mm. And so the whole idea of this book is that through every age and stage of your life, uh, to consciously choose to live life in crescendo, to keep learning, keep growing uh, through life's ups and downs in all stages of your life and be conscious of that because the subtitle of the book is just as important as the title. And just going back to when we began this journey, my dad said the, the uh, publishers are not going to like the title. It's too long. You know, live life in crescendo. The subtitle is your most important work is always ahead of you. And he said, fight for it. Don't let them change that. And I had to. Mm. He said, well, we love the first part. Let's do something different with the end or let's just end after live life and crescendo. But the second part is the key to the to the first. And mm. that is your most important work and contributions are always ahead of you in every stage of your life. If you so choose. You know, I appreciate what you said about the podcast. So much of what you said resonates with me because I saw before I launched this project, so many people around me who were living life more like diminuendo sort of mindset or phase versus the crescendo phase and not taking advantage of the knowledge around them that they could leverage and, and, and turn into wisdom and execute on and put into practice and actually make 
the world around them better. So I love that we sort of have uh, similar goals in mind with regard to the work that we put out there in the world. Uh, let's dig now into uh, the four main parts as you break it down in the book. What I call, I guess, I, I don't know if you use this phrase or not, but the live life in crescendo framework, uh, each represents a, a, p- a pivotal stage in life, right? Beginning with midlife struggle. Right. You say this stage concerns where you are compared to where you want to be. And it seems to me that so many of us, as I was just intimating, arrive at this stage uh, dissatisfied with their, with their progress. You know, it, you see people all the time. We call it a midlife crisis. Um, mm-hmm. they, they kind of don't know who they are because they, they maybe you're 45, you're 55, you're 60, and you think, wow, I'm in the middle of my life or maybe even moving a little past that. And mm-hmm. am I successful? What have I done? What have I accomplished? Sometimes people panic and they do things they that uh, they shouldn't do, like leave their families or, or kind of live extremely or do something to take hold of their mortality and, and in an attempt to correct that. But uh, I talk about two perspectives in midlife. The first is that maybe you're more successful than you think you are. You know, true mm-hmm. success. How do we define true success? It, it's like in, in a wonderful life. How uh, you know the main the main guy realized his life was pretty good. He had everything he wanted, but in his mind, he wasn't successful. In the mind of others, he wasn't rich. He wasn't doing all the things his friends were. You know, so he he panicked. But he, in the end, he found I've got my family and friends. Look at how many people he'd influenced just through his efforts of being kind and extending loans to people and doing things. So there's lots of people that are successful and things that really matter. And maybe they don't realize that. But then the second perspective is maybe you are in a rut. Maybe your your job is dead end. Maybe you have a bad relationship with your kids or your wife. Maybe um, you just got divorced and you don't know you know how to handle this. And and so maybe or maybe you are very out of shape. Your doctor says you've got five or six years to to live mm. because you haven't taken care of yourself. So the second perspective is take charge of your life and do something. Make a change mm. that you need to do so that you can become more successful. There's a great quote. The best way to predict your future is to create it. Mm. Peter Drucker said, it's also attributed to Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) But if you want to predict your future, create it. And this is what the midlife stage, you may have to examine it and think, you know what? I'm starting to live in dominiendo. I need to take control. There's many things I can do and start living in crescendo again. There's a great story you tell. I believe it's in this section of the book and your dad being, you know, just a great example of maybe it was in the introduction, a great example of just living your life and understanding how important family is and, and the success that we all have at our fingertips in that. You know, when we think about, well, gosh, I'm not successful, but what about your relationships? Are, are your relationships with your children strong, with your spouse strong? Those kinds of things matter. And I love that story that you tell of him at a speaking gig and you're like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, he's taking you along and a friend shows up that hasn't seen him in years, who desperately wants you all to go out to dinner. But how does your father respond in that situation? Well, uh, this is one of my favorite stories, because it showed to me uh, the priority that my dad put on our relationship. And it kind of connected with first things first, one of his seven habits. Mm -hmm. And my my parents, they weren't perfect people, but they tried, my dad tried very hard to live what he taught and -hmm. worked on it. And uh, relationships were very important to him. We planned for a couple months, this great, I was 12 years old, this great trip to San Francisco I was invited on. We were going to ride the 
trolley cars right after his presentation. I was for, to a 12 year old to think about these magical trolley cars to run through San Francisco. Then we were going to go shopping in some of the big famous stores. Then we're going to go over to Chinatown and get Chinese food. That was our favorite. We both love Chinese food. We're going to rush home, take a taxi back and, and uh, go swimming before they close or a hot fudge Sunday, watch the late <laughs> show. You know, I mean, yeah. we had the six or seven hours just planned to the T. So I panicked when I saw this great friend of his uh, greet him right before he got to me after his presentation and said, so excited to invite you to your, your daughter, come and eat with us down on the wharf and we'll, mm. we'll talk and things. And, and I hated uh, seafood <laughs> and I, but I thought, Oh, my dad will probably rather be with this friend than me. It was one of his best mm. friends. And, and so he just put his hand on his shoulder and said, it's so great to see you. And I'd love to do that, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a, a great date plan, don't we, honey? And he just kind of winked at me and we looked at each other and we went out the door and I, he said, you'd rather have Chinese food anyway, wouldn't you? Let's go get that trolley car. Yeah. So that just took me back that, uh, you know, that he cared enough uh, about our relationship to put it above anything else. And looking back in my childhood, that that really has stood out of of showing the priority that he that he uh, put mm-hmm. and valued in our relationship. And and um, it impressed me. You know, I love hearing those kind of stories because, you know, the, the, you hear the the rumors of, uh, you know, your your heroes aren't who you think they are and they put on a public face. But to know and to hear this from from numerous sources that your dad, though not perfect, none of us are, tried to live out the principles that he that he espoused to others is icing on the cake, I think, for so many of us. He really tried. And and it and uh, you just kind of keep coming back. It's like an airplane. Yeah. He'd always say, you you start at one spot and you go to the next. Most of the time you're off course. So you just kind of correct a little bit of correction according to the wind and you get back on course and then you land at your destination pretty much on time. Yeah. Well, we talked about the midlife struggle, that first stage and worrying about you know where you are versus where you want to be and not being successful maybe when you actually are. Uh, the next stage is the pinnacle of success. And this is the tendency where we might want to coast on the strength of what we've done in the past, right? Yeah. If you think, think to yourself, Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Roslyn, yeah. pinnacle of success. I mean, he's the president of the United States. You think you can't get any higher than that. And yet his post-presidency was actually better than his presidency. Mm. He's the most active and producing post-president of any we've had. Mm. Um, he was all about contribution. And this book talks about making contributions. One of my dad's uh, favorite quotes in here, I think, is that life is about contribution, not accumulation. Mm. We really get that mixed up in our society. But as we know, on your deathbed, the deathbed literature shows the person passing away doesn't care how many houses they have and, mm. and the money and things they've accomplished, but they do care about their contributions, their relationships with their family and what they've done, what they've contributed. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many examples. We put a lot of different examples uh, in the book. We have famous and non-famous people that with the, with the goal to inspire readers to think, okay, uh, maybe I've reached a pinnacle of success. I have a successful business and I've made a lot of money or I'm well known in the community. So do I sit back on my laurels and think I've done it, been there, done that? Or do I look around and see needs of people that are struggling? Do I become a mentor like John Wooden did mm. for um, a third of his life after he he was named the greatest coach of all time and won all these awards and, and had so many championships, but yet his mm. greatest contributions to were in mentoring and in being an example. Here's what, here's one of the quotes that I like that he said. 
Basketball is not the ultimate. It is of small importance in comparison to the total life we live. I have lived my life to be a mentor and to be mentored constantly. Mm. So up until 96, he was writing books, meeting people and influencing and mentoring until he died. And that was the more important to him than his his basketball career. He lived in crescendo to the very end. Mm. You mentioned the, the Jimmy Carter example. His life is probably uh, uh, serves as a good example for this next stage that I want you to to, to speak on, and that's the, the sort of the life changing setback. I guess not being reelected, he he could have viewed that uh, as a as a true honest to goodness setback and went a completely different direction. Uh, you know, I had a, a life changing setback. I would call it about nine years ago that, in part, uh, resulted in this podcast, right? And so, you know, I, I could have looked at that as, "Oh, woe is me," but I chose to look at what are the possibilities here. What does this make possible? As my friend uh, Dan Miller likes to say, uh, what, I, what I'm mostly getting at is, when it comes to a life changing setback, uh, if I understand you correctly, we get to decide ultimately how we're going to respond to these life altering events, don't we? What a great example of it uh, of you coming back from that. Because exactly, you know, life setbacks are going to happen to all of us. If you, if it hasn't happened yet, you haven't lived long <laughs> enough, but everybody will face something mm. that you literally have to choose. Am I going to live in crescendo and get through this and still contribute and still um, go on with my life? Maybe in a different venue, like you're saying, this podcast came about because of mm. a life changing setback. Or am I gonna am I gonna shut the door and just kind of close up? And President Carter, what a you know t- what a disappointment and and an embarrassment and a hard thing for him personally to not be reelected. And then, but within a year, he'd established the Carter Center, and then he and his wife are doing uh, Habitat for Humanity. They're the face of Habitat for Humanity. He's contributed in so many other ways. His greatest work was still ahead of him. His uh, his he was never uh, acknowledged as one of the greater presidents, but his post presidency was out standing. Mm. Um, other examples to think of, uh, we all know people, you can think of people in your own life like this, but some of the ones that are more well known, like Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. you know, Nelson Mandela, you know, he was released at 71. When he walked out of the gates at 71, you know, you'd mm-hmm. think, well, wow, he's just kind of going to what's going to happen. He's he could he could die in 10 years or less. You know, he's mm-hmm. I guess his life was wasted in prison. And yet uh, his life expanded from then. He definitely had more important work to do. He came out of there a changed man. And, uh, you know, helped with with uh, President de Klerk, took down apartheid. And uh, four years later, he's elected the first black president ever, you know, with apartheid, just just barely being eliminated. And de Klerk is his vice president. <laughs> and then he, you know, what he did for his country. It's just incredible. So his life expanded when it could have come to an end. I'm sure all of us know people like that, but we do have a conscious choice. We can't control what happens to us, but we have the choice to control how we react to it, how we respond. For sure. The final stage that I want to talk about is what you call the second half of life. And I think again to my friend, Dan Miller, when I hear our mutual friend, Aaron Walker, tell the story, he was in a mastermind with Dan uh, years ago. And and Aaron talks about selling his last business, I guess it was. And Dan asking, okay, what are you going to do now? And and Aaron saying something along the lines of, well, I'm going to retire. I'm going to coast. I'm going to ride off into the sunset. And Dan was like, that would be the most selfish thing you could could ever do. Think about all... I mean, he didn't say those words exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, think think of all... All you could do with the life you have left, the people you could impact, and you're just going to you know, go off in a boat and fish? Uh, <laughs> really? That's what you're going to do? And he really challenged Aaron. And now Aaron has launched 12 or 15 now 
different masterminds, uh, men-only masterminds, where he is pouring into the lives and businesses of hundreds of other men that he wouldn't be pouring into were he not challenged to rethink how he's going to spend the second half of, of his life. And I want to ask you, how can we make sure that this time for us doesn't become, uh, to use your word, self-serving, monotonous, uh, an unfulfilling phase that we, that we pass through or just endure? What a great example of, of mm-hmm. that man contributing. And uh, think, like you say, he goes and fishes and, we, you know, nobody benefits. He's relaxed and it's peaceful, but but we have so much more to give, so much more to contribute. Jeff, this was the reason my dad wrote the book and came up with his mission statement, because he was he was about 65 and uh, people were saying to him, wow, you're kind of there, Steve, you know, you're about <laughs> done or how many more years are you going to keep doing this? And he thought to himself, I'm not buying into society's <laughs> flawed notion of retirement. In our house growing up, retirement was the R word. You didn't say that. You know, mm. it, you never, you would, you may retire from a career, but you never retire from making contributions. That's another one of his great lessons that he taught me. You know, I think that we got to realize that, that in the second half of life, that is exactly when you have the time. Maybe you decide to go on with your career and you still want to contribute. You still have many things to do. That's a great choice. The other choice is that uh, you could never retire from contributing and you decide to pour yourself into something that's meaningful, something, a cause that you feel strongly about, a need you see around you. I mean, there's so many. Just open your eyes and you can see it. So my, my dad drew a triangle and said, people are saying there's only two choices, work or retire. He said, the third alternative is make a contribution. And so that's at the tip of the, of the triangle, make a contribution. And he liked to quote Dr. Selvi. He was a doctor who studied stress. And it's really interesting. He said, people believe that stress is bad for you and that when you get older, you should just go to retire to Florida and just sit on the beach and do nothing. That that's kind of you deserve it. And you, <laughs> this is what you do. So people that do that are dying. He mm. said, distress is the bad stress. And you can't have too much that in your life because that does affect you, your health. But mm. you stress is the helpful stress. Mm. And that is what you need in your life as you get older. And it all starts with having a purpose and a meaning to get out of bed and to contribute. And this whole thing started with me um, helping my dad because I said to him foolishly one day, (laughs) hey, dad, are you going to ever write anything as good as the seven habits or as big as the seven habits? And Mm. he was insulted. He said, (laughs) what? what, Are you kidding? You think all my good ideas are in that one book? I have (laughs) 10 books in my head right now. He said, I have so much more to contribute. Why do you think I get up in the morning to, to write and to, and to read and to speak if I don't feel like I have something else to offer? He said, my best stuff is still to come. Mm. And so that, that's how this book came into being, really. We do have to take charge of ourselves, though, and think, okay, I mean, it is the time when you're older, if you do decide to, to leave a job or a career, to do some things you've never done before, which is, mm. which is wonderful, to play golf or travel or spend more time with your family. Those are all good things that will help energize you. But if you do it full time and you don't have a purpose and meaning in your life and you don't have something that you're behind that would serve other people, you're going to feel unfulfilled and you won't have this use stress that will help invigorate your body to live longer and to uh, contribute up until when you pass away. Mm. Yeah, well said. And you reminded me of someone, uh, I'm going to try to make a connection here with this thought or idea I had. 
I was watching someone the other day basically chastise young people, many of whom are deciding at at that early stage in life, the twenty-something stage, maybe the thirty-something stage, to go out and see the world and and rent or buy an RV and uh, work remotely if they are working at all. He was chastising that group as a whole, saying, "You know, you you haven't earned the right." To do that yet, that's what you do at the end of your life as you coast. And I'm like, no, you you've got it wrong. It's, <laughs> then those later years are when you're best positioned to share wisdom. And and it, arguably at a young age, twenty something, you don't you haven't developed a lot of wisdom. So while you're young, if you want to go out and see the world in an RV, what yeah. better time to do it than that when you can truly enjoy it and make the most of it, and 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 take that wisdom you earn decades later. And use that time to share that wisdom with the world, not to coast. So I'm I'm in full agreement with you there for it's sure. The time when you have most to offer, the most wisdom, the most experience, the most time. Mm. You probably have more money than you did when you were younger. You've got mm. skills and unique abilities to help in so many different causes and, and needs that you see around you. So if you just, you know, go to a resort and kick back and do nothing, that's all wasted. Yeah. That's not shared. Um, one of the main quotes of the book is by at least it's attributed to Picasso. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Mm. I think that is kind of the mission statement for the book is that, that this is the whole purpose. My father also taught, he got this from his grandfather, one of the greatest pieces of wisdom he's ever heard from him that was, life is a mission, not a career. We all have careers and jobs and things that we do, but what is your mission? What are you, what are you overall about? What can you contribute to make life better for other people? Looking outward, like the crescendo symbol, mm-hmm. I think is the, a great way to, to begin the crescendo mentality. Well, I want to ask you one more question about the book. Share a bit about, if you don't mind, how you decided to conclude the book. I decided to conclude the book with our family's journey of living in crescendo. Like we said, everybody has struggles and has ups and downs. And we had three major uh, setbacks with my mom's health, her back surgery that left her in a wheelchair. She was the most active person you'd ever seen. And all of a sudden she has, she's, she has surgery that doesn't go right on her back, which I would not recommend. Mm. And she doesn't get out of the wheelchair the rest of her life. So is she going to live in crescendo or dominiendo? How's our family going to react to that? You know, she was the heart of the home that planned everything. And her life changed drastically. And uh, to her credit, and I talk about this in the book, she... She still continued to live in Crescendo. She got a hold of it and still contributed to the family and was our matriarch. And uh, we we had to learn to to do that as well. And then my dad, you can read about this. We share something personal about my dad in the in the book about an illness that he had um, that uh, most a lot of people don't don't know about. But he developed front tempo dementia a few years before he passed away. And for this was shocking to us and um, horrifying. My dad, who used his brain more than anyone we knew, and was physically active and sharpened the saw and did all those things. And yet, you know, he's he's human. He's subject to these to diseases and. Mm-hmm. And he um, suffered from that. And we had that second uh, right after my mom's surgery. Well, kind of coincidentally, at the same time, simultaneously, we had to deal with that as a family. There's nine of us, and I'm the oldest of the nine. And then my brother, Stephen's a couple years younger. Uh, you referred to his great book, Trust and Inspire. But we had to gather the troops and and live in crescendo when we felt like living in dominiendo and, <laughs> and thinking both our parents are going through this. This is really tough. 
Mm. And then uh, the final one is uh, my brother, Sean, his daughter, Rachel, when she was um, 21, uh, passed away from effects of depression. Mm. And that was just a couple months after our father passed. We, ha- we had to practice this principle ourselves. And I talk about my brother and his wife's journey through this and how magnificently they've, mm. they've handled it and have, have established a great purpose in her passing to deal with anxiety and depression. And that is a wonderful nonprofit called Bridal Up Hope that mm. uh, gives hopes to, hope to young girls 12 and up through equestrian training. And they, mm. they learned to ride horses. That, that was their daughter Rachel's um, great love is horses. Mm. And so they train um, girls, bring life lessons out through equestrian training. And also they have, they're taught the seven habits of highly effective teens, which is my dad's um, material that my brother, Sean, uh, converted to teenagers. Mm. And uh, the effects have been amazing, uh, life-changing to these girls with depression and anxiety and, and some that have had some abuse and trauma. So our family had to practice what we preach with this mm. and uh, and live it ourselves, And even me writing this book, it took 10 years to write it. And I'm a first-time author at age 65. <laughs> so I'm living in crescendo, doing things I, mm. I um, hadn't done before that are outside of my comfort zone. But mm. it's a conscious choice, and it's one I think we have to make every day. Yeah. Well, I know you you do your fair share of, of reading. Uh, I'd be curious to know, uh, apart from your family's work, if any books uh, have truly impacted you that, that stay with you all these years that maybe even impact uh, the work you do today. Oh, there's so many great books out there, aren't there, Jeff? I, this, I'd love to have your job because you you have to read for your job every week. You got to read a new book, and right. that, that's amazing. Um, books open the world, don't they? They take you to places you'd never go. I like to read books that about people who do live in crescendo. Melinda Gates, The Power of Lift. I don't know if you've read that one. That's outstanding. It it just talks about her work and talk about the pinnacle of success. Here, uh, you know, the Gates billionaires. The, the greatest wealth in, in our country, one of the greatest. And yet, um, they work full time. They're divorced now, but they still work on the, with their foundation full time to uh, right. alleviating poverty and disease and pinnacle of success. And yet they still contribute. And Melinda Gates, especially going to, um, underprivileged countries and living here. She's a billionaire. She's living in shacks. Mm. with her staff and trying to understand their culture to help raise women. If they feel like if they can raise women and empower them, it can change a culture and a whole village. So that's, that's one of them. Um, Another great one. uh, I've been reading Greg McEwen's books, Effortless and Essentialism. And those are inspiring on taking uh, control of your life. Everybody wants a piece of it and you've only got so much time and how to organize your time and, and truly do that. What is essential. Well, one more question I'll ask, and then I'll I'll let you go. But um, I want to ask about your note-taking habits. What do you do, if anything, when you're reading, uh, maybe watching a a TED Talk or an online article or conversation, and there's something that that you want to capture, you want to remember, um, what are your methods for doing that? And are there ways that you then ensure that you go back to that later, that you're able to take what you've learned, the knowledge you've gained and collected and turn it into action and, and wisdom. Any, anything to share there along those lines? I think that's so important, Jeff, because we all forget things. The minute you read it, <laughs> the next day you think, oh, that was so good, but what was it? And so right. I, um, I do two things. I listen to it on audio. Um, mm. so, and when I'm, when I'm out walking or I'm doing something and the minute I hear something I want to capture, 
I turn it off and I have a little note in my, um, the notes in my phone Mm -hmm. and I just speak into my phone and I just say what I just learned. I put it down right then because if I don't, I'll forget it and I won't come back to it. Mm -hmm. So I do that when I listen. And then when I read a book, I mark it up. And at the very back, I have like a little index, things that I love that I want to highlight and remember. Mm -hmm. I go to the back of the book and I put one, two, three, I, I number them and I say page 25. And I, and I put that quote or never forget, you know, to reach out to others in this way or whatever the thought is. I record it right there in that mm. book. And then I type those up and I have a list of books I've read. And it's just a one page on each book of insights from, from like your, your book, Read to Lead or mm. from, from Live Life for Crescendo. I just have like a one page thing that I can refer to. So then if I'm asked to give a talk or then if I'm struggling with something or I want to remember, I can go back to this really easily and just see on a one page review what I learned. And I take those notes from my phone and I I make that part of it as well. But that's a practice that's helped me uh, remember the great things I've learned by reading. Mm. Well, it, it served you well and helped you, uh, among other things, finish a book uh, started with your dad. This book we've been talking about again is called Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. Co-written by the late Stephen R. Covey and our guest today, Cynthia Covey-Haller. Cynthia, thank you so much for being a part of the show and, and giving of your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. And it's been wonderful to, to talk together. And you've inspired me to keep reading and learning. You're an example of living in crescendo. And I appreciate our conversation. Thank you, Jeff. You know, having the chance to have interviewed Stephen Jr., as I mentioned several times, and now Cynthia, It's apparent to me that the Coveys are some of the most generous people I've ever had the chance to interact with. I hope you'll follow up on some of the books that Cynthia recommended. If you'd like to connect with her online, follow up on those books or anything else about today's episode, you can find it all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 442 for episode 442. There will also be a link there to find out more about my note-making mastery cohort number three, kicking off very soon and would love to have you as a part of it. Even if you're hearing this after October or in the middle of October 2022, the self-paced version is still available for you. So I encourage you to check it out. Both options, the self-paced and the live session versions are at jeffbrown.me. That's jeffbrown.me. Thank you for diving into and checking out this conversation. I so appreciate you having been here. That's going to do it for this week. I hope to see you the next time we come together in one week. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. For the ones who get it done. The most important part is the one you need now, and the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.